And I can say that as well. I left uh, the church that I grew up in, the religion that I grew up in, and it was a fearful thing to do. But my life is so much better than it ever was before. And Jesus, I love so much more with all my heart than I ever did before. I, I believe I ever could before. Okay? I, I think there's reasons for that. I'm a follower of Jesus. It's the most important thing in my life. The most healing, healthy thing for the human brain is a belief in God and prayer. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd, and this is the introduction to, I guess, what I'm going to call it is the secret spiritual laws of nature for people who believe in Jesus. Um, I've never done anything like this before. And, and, and by the way, when I say that, I'm not talking about religion. It took me decades to recover from my religious upbringing. I, I, I usually run from religion. Not talking about going to church. Uh, I am talking about starting something here. I don't know whether to call it a revolution or um, some new thing or spiritual AA. Um, I don't know what to call it. And, and, and typically, when you're starting something, especially that you have been years starting, and that's true here. I've been telling Hope for 12 years. I believe God is calling me to something, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. And then I've, I've had little bits, almost like breadcrumbs in Hansel and Gretel. And I still don't know what the agenda is. I don't know where we're headed. I don't know the end result. I've probably never done anything in my life where I didn't have some of those questions answered, okay? If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, you're just curious, welcome, welcome, welcome. And I hope you will find, I believe you will find, um, that this is maybe not what you've experienced pain with uh, at other times in your life or people that you love and care about have. But about 12 years ago um, is when this started. So let me set that up a little bit. 19 years ago, I made a discovery of a healing mechanism that I ended up calling the Healing Code that healed my wife's severe clinical depression that she had for the first 12 years of our life. It dominated everything in our life. It was a living nightmare. I mean, whatever adjective or metaphor you want to apply would probably work because it was just horrible for both of us, okay? And then, and because of that, I went back to graduate school to become a psychologist and, uh, and then a, uh, a doctor of naturopathic medicine because while we tried everything for Hope's depression, the thing that helped her most 
where like herbs, minerals, supplements, homeopathics, things like that, but they still didn't help her enough to where she wasn't depressed. So I, I went and got a doctorate in depression, basically, I was thinking, a PhD in psychology, and an MD in natural medicine, way more to try to heal her depression than as a career move or anything like that, okay? And then in 2001, I, after I'd been searching all over the world for eight or ten years and found a lot of good things, a lot of nice people, but Hope was always still depressed, then on April 15, 2001, wham, here it is. The thing that helps heal her depression for good. And I took it into my private practice and it started doing the same thing there with, with my clients. And, and so I was jumping up and down thrilled. And so I walked away from my practice and started the healing codes out of my basement from home, very little money, never any advertising. And for 19 years, that's been by far the main thing I've done is sell and teach a physical mechanism that helps heal the underlying cause of depression and illness and disease. Pretty much any illness or disease. And, and it's been wonderful. And we've been greatly, greatly blessed through that. We have clients in 50 states, 173 countries. Uh, I'm told it's the largest practice of its kind in the world. And that was all without advertising, just word of mouth. Uh, I'm a New York Times best-selling author. If you told me that at 10 or 18 or 25, I never would. I said, you are out of your mind. I flunked kindergarten. I flunked third grade. I didn't know if I was going to graduate from high school until the day before. My grades were so bad, okay? I'm dyslexic. I'm ADD, ADHD. There's probably a bunch of other Ds, too, that they'll discover later. But anyway, when the discovery of the healing codes came, I jumped on that with both feet, thinking this is a gift from God and I'm going to go out there with this mechanical five, six minute mechanism and help as many people as I can. And I did, and it's been wonderful. But I've started to realize the last few years that my priorities may not be right. I may have what should be number one is number two, and what should be number two is number one. In other words, I've been too product-focused, too heal-your-health-problem-focused, rather than live a spiritual life by these spiritual laws of nature that very few people live. My guess is less than one in a hundred naturally know and understand these and live them. 99 out of 100, including me at the time, live in fear and anxiety and, and, um, and, and our life is not what we want it to be. And we can feel it. Okay? For me, when I was um, 26, 27, before Hope kicked me out of the house, I was trying to do what I thought was right. 
Okay, I grew up in the church. Uh, I majored in ministry for the first twelve years. For the first ten years out of undergraduate, I did full time ministry at eight different churches. Was uh, ordained as a minister, filed with the government as a minister, all that sort of thing. Okay, what I what I really wanted to do was teach and preach because what I discovered when I was a child is that if I was crossways with my mom or my dad or my brothers or someone at school, anyone who was significant to me, if I was crossways with them, I was not okay. I might get a stomach ache or a headache. I wouldn't have much energy. I, and I just had this feeling something's wrong. Something's, well, then if I went and made it right with my mom or whoever it was, sometimes it was I had something against me or me and God. It, it could be anything. But I realized that when I made it right and I was no longer crossways with my mom or whoever it was, Oh, I felt peace, and I felt like I was okay, all right? And so from a child, I believe that the most important thing in life was living rightly, which I would say is 90 plus percent what I call the spiritual laws of nature. Now, when I started the Healing Codes, I, I prayed and prayed. I consulted my mentor, uh, my wife, a bunch of other people. Uh, I'm going to sit down here for a minute. Um, and what I, what I, the, the prayerful decision I made is that when I talked about the Healing Codes or uh, healing or whatever it was we were doing, I was not, for the most part, going to say anything that would offend anyone. I felt like my marching order, so to speak, was three words, help people heal. And I knew, I, I, I believe in Jesus, and that's the most important thing in my life, but I also knew that if I said the word, Jesus, or church, or Bible, or uh, several other words like that. A lot of people, they're out, they're gone as soon as they hear that. And I don't ever have the opportunity to help them with their depression or anxiety or health problem or, or, or whatever it is because they hear that hot word and they're gone, okay? And I've done that for 19 years. And today, knock on wood, I've never had one person say, hey, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Christian. I'm not, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not a believer. What you said offended me. I've never heard that one time. And in a way, that's been a wonderful thing because we've been able to help people of all different religions, all nationalities, all worldviews, heal from things that were causing them pain and keeping them from living in some cases, because it was life or death, or in other cases, living a good, vibrant life. You can't do that if you're sick all the time, all right? 
But starting about 12 years ago, I started feeling a call to teach these spiritual laws of nature that I believe most believers in Jesus and people in church don't know. Now, they may know the basic principle, but I believe a lot of times they misinterpret it as I did. And as almost everyone I've ever worked with who called themselves a Christian or believer or, or a follower of Jesus, they would say that too. Well, I, I never understood that that way. And it caused them to live in a way where they were not happy, they were not fulfilled, they didn't have the meaning and purpose in their life that they longed for and thought they should have. Okay? So, I have another track that I'm doing where I'm teaching these spiritual laws, and that is for anyone and everyone. So, if if I've already offended you by saying Jesus or Bible or church or whatever, then go over there and I really believe you will not be offended and it will apply to you and you can integrate it into your life, okay? But if that does not offend you or you feel like you already fall into one of those categories, that's what you believe too. I want to start something. And honestly, coming to this seat today in January of 2020, I did not know what I was going to say when I got here. I had no, no script, no bullet points, no be sure to cover this, no end result that I'm looking for, no name to call it, okay? But I believed I was supposed to come to this chair today and start, and I'm trusting, hoping, praying that the Holy Spirit will give me the words. Let me, let me go a little deeper. Why, why am I starting something in the first place? Okay, if everything's working great, there's usually not a need to start something. As I said, I grew up in, in, a, in a pretty legalistic, very religious home. My parents were not as legalistic as the church was that we went to. But even so, it took me decades to recover from that legalism, that harshness. Uh, uh, I believed that God was kind of this all-powerful guy with a scowl on his face just waiting for me to put a foot out of line to whack me. I believe that. I was brought up that way. Everybody I knew believed that. Now, if you ask me, do you believe God loves you? I would have said yes. But he's still waiting for me to put a foot out of line and he'll whack me if I do. Okay? If, if you've kept up at all with world events, you have seen that people are leaving churches in droves, not by the thousands, not by the hundred thousands, by the millions and tens of millions. Now, there are a few exceptions. Most of the exceptions are just a church so-called growing 
because they put on a better show and people from other churches leave their church to go to this church because they think it's better for some reason for them. There's very few exceptions where a church has grown with people coming to Jesus who have never had a relationship with Jesus. That is incredibly rare right now. Now, with the millions leaving church, and and I might even say religion, what most of them say is, I'm not leaving God. I'm not leaving Jesus. I'm in fact, I, I, I want my relationship with Jesus to be better than it's ever been. Some of them will say, I, I've, after I've come out of that, it has been better than it's ever been. Okay, And I can say that as well. I left uh, the church that I grew up in, the religion that I grew up in, and it was a fearful thing to do. But my life is so much better than it ever was before. And Jesus, I love so much more with all my heart than I ever did before. I I believe I ever could before, okay? I think there's reasons for that. I think one of the main reasons is we've just been doing it wrong, okay? Now, I don't mean mean to offend anybody, but I believe we've been doing it wrong. And in the 10 or 12 years that I did full-time ministry, I worked at eight different churches. All eight of them split. In a 12-year period, all eight split, meaning a bunch of people got mad at a bunch of other people and left and went somewhere else and said, we're not, we're not worshiping with you anymore. Or we don't like what you guys are doing. We want to do it a different way. So we're going across the street and we're going to do it a different way. Okay? And the hurt and anger and and identity and worth and, and almost every meaningful thing you can name is almost just destroyed when those things happen. And what I witnessed with the eight that I was a part of is that it was almost always over power, control, money, and church politics. Well, so what? I mean, all of us know that's a part of church, all right? Well, that's right, and it probably always will be, but not to the extent that it has been in what I grew up with and and all the people that are leaving what they grew up in, okay? Jesus was asked, hey, is there a most important commandment? And very often, Jesus wouldn't answer their question. He would answer their question with a question, or he would answer their question with something they were totally not expecting, like, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. But this question they asked, he not only answered it, he went further than their question. Is there a greatest commandment? He said, absolutely. It's love. 
And then he goes further and he says, if you've done that, if you truly love, you've done it all. You don't have to worry about any of the other rules and stuff. You've done it all. Okay? And, and obviously, I'm paraphrasing there. All right? But that's, that's where this came from for me. My wife and I got married. I, I, um, we, we went to premarital counseling voluntarily. We would uh, read the same book on relationships. And then our date, we'd get together and talk about the book from our differing perspectives. And, and you know, I mean, we, we talked for hundreds of hours. We both thought we were more prepared for marriage than anyone we knew. And there was no way we were going to have problems. <laughs> well, less than three years later, Hope says she needs to talk to me. Says, Alex, I need you to leave the house. I cannot stand to live with you another day. She wanted a divorce. I didn't want a divorce, but I knew things were bad and I was unhappy. Okay? So I packed my bag, I left, and... Um, I went into my parents' backyard that night, stayed up all night, cursing, crying, everything in between, looking for some miracle, for some uh, solution, you know. Okay, Alex, this is what will fix it. Nothing, none of that. But as dawn was coming, I heard a voice in my head. Now, it was not an audible voice, okay? But I believed it was God. Can't prove that, but I believe that. And here's what the voice said. Alex, not only do you not love hope, you don't even know what love is. I was angry. I mean, excuse my language, I was pissed. I was I mean, I'm the love guy. I worked with teenagers then, teaching them love and their parents and working out conflicts and counseling people on love and stuff. And what do you mean I don't know what it is? I'm the love guy. But as the weeks went on, I couldn't get that thought out of my head. Not only do I not love hope, I don't even know what love is. I couldn't I could not lock that in a room away from my awareness. It was like there all the time haunting me. So I started considering it, usually on long runs. And then I started researching um, the Bible, uh, Hebrew, Greek, um, some other religious text as well, because at that time I wasn't even sure there was a God anymore. Talked to people much wiser than me. Several preachers I, I, I talked to asking for advice about this situation. What I came away with, and I think this was in about five weeks, is that the, voices, the voice was right. Not only had I not loved hope, but I didn't even know what it is. Now, if you had asked me 
at any time from the time we started dating till the day she kicked me out of the house, and even after that, Alex, do you love hope? Man, I would have I wouldn't have hesitated a split second. Yes, with all my heart, of course. I tell her that every day, many times a day. I do this for her, I do that for her. I don't do this because she doesn't like it. Yes, I love her. I might even be offended by your question, okay? But I had now come to believe that I didn't. And I had not known what love was. I also want to tell you, at the time she kicked me out of the house, I was trying, as hard as I knew how, to live my life right. Okay? I wasn't sitting on the couch eating Twinkies. I was reading the Bible all the time. I was studying, uh, uh, you know, interpretations. I was talking to other preachers, especially the ones... Uh, where I worked. I was talking to my spiritual mentor. You know, what's the Greek of this? What's the Hebrew? I mean, I was trying to live right as best I could. And it was not working. I believe I had cancer. Can't prove that. But I promise you, I had every symptom of cancer. No energy, scaly skin, uh, losing weight. I mean, felt bad all the time. Maybe I didn't, but, but even if I didn't, I felt bad physically all the time and was feeling worse and worse. Acid reflux, chronic migraine headaches, okay? I was about to be fired from my job. We were about to go bankrupt financially. Every area of my life that I could name was bad and going worse. And this was with me trying to do what's right. Since that time, almost everyone I've counseled and worked with has to some degree or another on a continuum been able to say that same thing. I'm trying, but either I can't do it or it's not working. Well, I believe one of the reasons is we've had the wrong definitions and meanings and we believe things that weren't true and not believe things that were true. At, at, at about six weeks, I heard the voice again and um, it said, Alex, are you willing to really love hope now. And I didn't answer quick. I, I, re I really felt like this is kind of a vow. This is kind of a holy ground situation or moment. So I didn't answer then. I, I, I went on jogs and meditated, prayed about it, whatever, because what I now believed about love is that what I had been calling love was not love at all. It was in reality a business deal. It was a business deal. I'll do this if you do that. I won't do this if you won't do that. If you do this, 
then I'm going to be upset because you're not keeping your part of the bargain. And if I mess up over here, Hope got angry because I'm not keeping up my part of the bargain. Now, these rules weren't written. We talked about some of them, maybe not talked about others, but they were understood by both of us. Okay? What I now believed about love, and by the way, what we started calling that in the 70s in the United States was, what's in it for me? It's a business deal. It's not love. What I came to believe love was, was something like this. Love is all in with nothing held back. No plan B. No safety net. Forever. No matter what. And it is putting that person's best interest equal to or even above my own. And several of the descriptors of love just slayed me. You probably have heard them. But love keeps no account of wrongs. When we first went to counseling, I had four pages front and back of why our marriage problems were Hope's fault. Love keeps no account of wrongs, whether written or unwritten. Now, you may not be able to intentionally forget, but you also don't intentionally remember. You let it go. You may not be in a place where you can do that right now, though, so don't worry too much. But love keeps no record of wrongs. Love suffers all things. Love suffers everything. Pain. You're talking all your life in a, at, in, regularly. Pain. Well, my thought was, when I saw, really understood that, I didn't get into marriage for pain. I got in it for sex and food and a companion and somebody to do stuff with and have children with and, and share the load and, and, and go to movies and fun, pleasure, making pain go away. Goodness gracious, I didn't get in this to suffer. Love suffers everything and continues to love. Love never fails. I, I told you a few minutes ago, I was failing at everything in my life. Trying to do it right, but it didn't work. Everything was failing. Now, an important point here is how you define success and failure. I've worked with a lot of multimillionaires, billionaires, music stars, actors, professional athletes, whatever. Yeah, they were rich and famous and made a lot of money. But I also have to say, nine out of ten of them were pretty miserable. Worried about I'm never going to come out with another hit song. My voice is going to go. Uh, I'm going to not make the starting lineup. 
Uh, I'm not going to write another hit. Um, my looks are going. What surgeries do I... I mean, always worried about something. Now, one in ten were happy. But you know what was interesting? The one in ten didn't care about any of that. They didn't care about the money or the fame or any of that. They just loved what they were doing. Okay? So love never fails. And, and, and it goes on. Okay? And so the voice comes, will you really love her? Now I know what love really is, that it's all in, that it's not about self-interest. It's about the other person's self-interest. It's really giving up my self-interest, whether it's uh, what we watch on TV or uh, the vacation we go on or, or whatever. Now, yeah, talking it out, giving reasons, logically discussing, seeing what God says, but submitting to one another in love, giving up self-interest. What I had been doing and calling it love was all about my self-interest, even though I probably would not have admitted that at the time. And when I shifted, I, I literally, uh, I'll pick up the story there. So in about six weeks, I went back to my parents' backyard, got on my knees, talked to God, who I now believed existed again, and said, Father, I will never be able to do it right. But as best I can, I will love hope for the rest of my life. Really love her. No matter what. And ladies and gentlemen, it was one of the scariest things I'd ever done. Because at the time I said that, she never wanted to see me again. She was telling her friends she was happier than she'd ever been because she was away from me now. She wanted a divorce, period. So I was committing to love someone who would, in my mind, be raising someone else's children and having sex with someone else and going on vacations with someone else, okay? But regardless of that, I committed for the rest of my life, and I meant it for to the barrow, to the marrow of my bones. I meant it. And ladies and gentlemen, when those words came out of my mouth, I felt something in me change. And it was wonderful. It was a lightness, a freedom, a love, joy, peace, a power, even though I knew it wasn't my power. All the worry and anxiety went away. Uh, even if she divorces me, and I didn't want her to, Okay, but even if she did, somehow I knew I, I would be all right. Okay, well, at about six weeks, she agreed to go on a date with me. I, I really think she did it so she could say, okay, there's my closure. I saw him again, said the goodbyes. I gave him one last chance, sort of, even though she wasn't really intending to do that. And now I can divorce and move on to someone else. She had all kinds of rules. You will not come in the house. You will not touch me. 
We will not talk about our relationship. We, it will be in public somewhere for one hour only, and you are not to ask me at that meeting about ever getting together again. And she had some other rules too. You get the idea. So I drive to her house, which had been our as a condominium. Prayed on the way over there, knocked on the door. She opened the door and did a double take. Which means she opened the door, looked at me, looked away, and then looked back like, what is that? I've not seen that. What is that? And, and just lingered there two or three seconds looking deep in my eyes and then looked away again. She would tell me later, she would not tell me this then, she was afraid it wasn't real, but she would tell me later, Alex, the first time I looked in your eyes, I knew you were not the same man. And she was right, and, and I wasn't and I haven't been since. Now, I make more mistakes than anybody I know. Just ask my children. But I've never been the same. And I've gone from happiness to happiness to hap greater, greater levels up the mountain of meaning, purpose, happiness, contentment. And it was not the mechanism that did it, either for me or for hope. Now, the mechanism made hope's depression go away. The mechanism uh, made my acid reflux go away, made my migraine headaches go away. But everything else has happened through understanding and committing to what I call the spiritual laws of nature. Um, you may say you don't believe in gravity, the natural laws of nature, the physical laws of nature. Well, I'll guarantee you something. If I take you to the top of the Empire State Building and throw you off halfway down, you'll believe in gravity. Just because you don't believe in something doesn't mean it's not there and, and absolutely real. Okay? And very few people that I have ever met understand the spiritual laws of nature. And to me, that is what God is about. That is what church is supposed to be about. It's, it's really supposed to be more like a mash unit for people hurting that is totally safe and, and, and everybody shares and everybody knows that, that we've all got our flaws and we're always there for each other no matter what. We're committing to love long term no matter what to everyone. And the people that are hurting, let's get them help and let's love them and, and whatever they need, let's help that happen for them in, in a place of confidentiality and safety. Okay, uh, that sounds a lot like AA too. And, and maybe what I'm starting is, is some spiritual AA. I don't know. The, the two words that keep coming to me are de facto love. There's 
placebo, nocebo, and de facto. Placebo means you're believing a lie that something, that the sugar pill has the power to heal something when it doesn't. Nocebo means the pill does have the power, but you believe it doesn't, so your belief that it doesn't keeps it from working, at least some of the time. And de facto means the true reality, whether anybody believes it or not. This is the truth and real. And I believe what I call the spiritual laws of nature are de facto love. A way to think, a way to live. Uh, and, and the amazing thing is that over the 19 years that I was focused on products and the, me and the healing mechanism, people from all over the world healed. But very often they would come to me and say, okay, my cancer's gone, but I'm not really any happier than I used to be. Or my diabetes is gone, but I, I, I still have this perfectionism that I can't get by. Or my uh, migraines are gone, but I still am like addicted to lust or to food or to mindless TV or, or whatever, okay? In other words, thanks a lot that my health thing healed, but my life really isn't any better except I'm alive. Well, in contrast to that, as I've worked with people one-on-one -on -one and in small groups with the spiritual laws of nature, when people understand and commit to those they get everything. They become happy. They become full of meaning and purpose. Uh, if they're in a business or something, usually it becomes more successful, a lot of times radically so. And if they have a health problem, it almost always gets better, even if they don't do the mechanism, which did not happen in, on the other way, they didn't get the meaning and purpose and love by doing the mechanism. All they got was the health. But with the principles, once they are committed to, understood, and you start to live them, it appears people get everything. And it happens almost every time. And even if their cancer doesn't go away, they will usually say, you know, yeah, I, I'm sorry that I've got cancer or that I'm in pain or that I'm going to die, but I cannot imagine being any happier than I am. And I did not have that before. But usually the health things do get better. Let me tell you where these um, spiritual laws came from for me. Uh, Hope and I got married in 1986, and we wanted children immediately. Now, that's certainly not true with most people today, but it, it really wasn't even true back then. Everybody we knew wanted a year, two, three, four, five, you know, just as a couple before the, the expense and the time commitment of children. We, we didn't. We wanted children. 
It had been both of our dreams all of our life. Well, about six years into marriage, Hope had had three miscarriages. And um, we had pretty much come to the place that, you know, it looks like it's just not in the cards for us. And Hope got it before I did. She um, came to me one Sunday night and she said, uh, Alex, I think we've been praying wrong. And I said, praying wrong? What do you mean? She said, well, I've been praying for six years, and I think you have too. Give us a baby, give us a baby, give us a baby, give us a baby. She said, if, if that's not what God has for our life, if that's not what is best for us and God's plan, I don't want to spend my whole life um, in, in regret and trying to do something that isn't right for me, okay? I want to do what's best, what God wants. And so she said, will you pray with me? I said, yeah, of course. So we sat down on the bed. Uh, she grabbed my hand. And for the first time ever in our marriage, she prayed. Father, you know my heart, you know I'd love to have children, but if that's not what you want for me, may your will be done and make me happy and content and fulfilled in whatever that is and the same for Alex. We were both just bawling. Harry was conceived an hour later our first son. So Harry's born, just happened, he's in the nursery. Hope is in her room. They're gonna be bringing Harry to her in a few minutes, but right now he's in the nursery under a heat lamp and it's just kind of me and him through that glass. And I was looking at him, my first born child, and this tidal wave of anxiety and fear came over me and I thought, I'm going to screw this up. I, I don't know how to be a good parent, and I knew all, a lot of the mistakes my parents had made that had really scarred me. I, I don't know that I can do this, okay? And I heard a voice, or I had a thought. I, I believe it was God. It said, Alex, if Harry gets to 18... And you can say two things. You will have done just fine. Okay? What are the two things? Number one, that he's still physically alive. <laughs> Pretty important. Number two, that on his 18th birthday, that he will know, not think, not believe, know 100% with no doubt that he is dearly, completely unconditionally loved no matter what. You can do those two things, you'll have done just fine. And I felt this relaxation. I thought, oh wow, it's not a thousand things I've got to make happen. It's Maybe I can do that with God's help. So I immediately said, okay, so please lead and guide me. And the first spiritual law of nature 
came to me that day, the day of Harry's birth, okay? And I wrote it down. And then I kept praying as Harry would grow and there'd be different questions and different decisions and different choices and different dilemmas. I would pray and meditate. Okay, what do I do here? Okay, what do I do with this? You know, a situation that is not specifically talked about in the Bible. And I would wait until... I felt like I got some insight, some direction, okay? And um, in the last 26 years, it's become an inside joke in our family because we can be doing anything. We can be on an airplane. We can be eating dinner. We can be uh, uh, on vacation. I mean, absolutely anything can be going on. And there's a good chance I might say, Excuse me for a second, I've got to write something down. And I would go, and it would be what I'd been praying about, what I felt like was maybe God's solution, God's principle for that. And I'd write it down and do it. And, and, and so over the last 26 years... There's been Harry, there's been Hope, there's been me, there's been George, there's been my clients. That, that and, and so in all these situations, I'm praying for guidance before just doing something. And then when I felt like it came, I would write it down. Okay, And I call those, and now there's dozens of them that apply to any situation you could ever be in in your life. Anyone's life. Okay? And I started calling that the spiritual laws of nature or the secret spiritual laws of nature because even people like me who would vow and declare I love hope, I didn't understand it. And I really didn't. It was a business deal, not love. So what I'm planning... Whatever this is, whatever the name is, whatever whether it succeeds or not, whether it's even so, supposed to succeed or not, okay? And, and, and what I'm thinking is this is an outside the walls of the church thing, okay? Um, but no matter what happens with it, what I plan to do next, now that I've sort of told you why I'm doing this and the basis of where it came from, is lay a case with both scripture and scientific studies that completely harmonize together about the condition that we're in, which I think is far worse than most of us realize, and what may be the only way out. Now, I certainly believe God and the love of God is the only way out really to anything, but specific to being a follower of Jesus, to believe in Jesus. Um, I believe these spiritual principles that harmonize with God's principles and science and nature and scientific studies if you understand them, commit to them, live them. I'm not sure in 26 years I've ever seen one, one single exception to this. It will lead you 
to your best life, which is different from anyone else's best life who's ever lived. So the next step for me is to show you the scriptures, the studies, to try to prove it to you, and then to start with the first spiritual principle that came on the day of Harry's birth that I believe is, is the first one and the foundational one, and then go from there to the others that apply to any and every situation, really, that I've ever found in life. And if you've been a follower of mine for some time, again, I want to apologize that I believe in these 19 years since the discovery of the healing codes, I've gotten my priorities out of order. I've been product-centered rather than message and principle-centered. And um, hopefully I will never make that mistake again. I'm not throwing away the mechanisms. They're wonderful. Um, I believe those were given to me for a reason, and they've helped people all over the world. So if you want those, they're there. I'm not going to throw them away. But they are secondary. The principles by which you live your life, and more importantly, the spiritual principles, are primary. So I hope that makes some sense. Honestly, when I sat down here, I had no idea what I was going to say. I don't know the result of where this is going to go, if it goes anywhere, or if this message will resonate with anyone else. But I believe Jesus was absolutely right when asked, what's the greatest principle? What's the greatest commandment? He said, it's love, and if you do that, you've, you've done the whole law. The whole law is summed up in that. Well, I want to teach you a way to do that, that I have found very few Christians or followers of Jesus who, who were living that way, very few. So I want to start a movement, a revolution of people living the principles of love, joy, excuse me, of love, joy, peace, etc. Rather than anxiety, fear, worry, what's in it for me, self-interest, the difference is absolutely night and day. You can't get to the life you want from self-interest. You have to die to yourself. And um, that's what we're going to talk about. So sorry for rambling. I hope some of it has made sense. And if you're intrigued, uh, please join me for the next segment where uh, I'm going to try to prove to you the way your body is made, the way your mind works, the way your brain works with what's in Scripture and what works out in the world and what doesn't. And um, I'm excited. And it's taken me um, a lot of years to get here. So uh, thank you so very much. I love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful, blessed day.